0: Last week, James spoke to us of wisdom that comes from heaven. Today, we hear him talk of the unrighteous and the righteous and our faith that unites us with Christ. Listen as I read from James 4, 1 through 12 and 5, 13 through 20. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your, plenty, on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And then James 5, anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back? Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and come over, cover over a multitude of sins. Let it be so with us in this congregation, amen.
1: Good morning. Sometimes when we read scripture, we come to the word of God and we find it vague and confusing. We find ourselves having to do our limited best to try to interpret what it is that God is telling us. Other times we read scripture and it is more like a slap to the back of the head that there is nothing ambiguous about it. In these places, God is crystal clear. And it is only our own lack of wisdom that would lead us to believe there's anything to be discussed. At the end of his letter, James begins to get very clear. There's no more analogies about ships and rudders and tongues and fires and withering away of people. No more hypotheticals laid out. Rather, James levels both accusations and instructions towards the people of God in plain language. In many ways, the book of James, James himself, reminds me of one of my favorite authors, the famous Dr. Seuss. Both are books that are a mix of confusing and clear. Where you feel like you're not sure where the author is going. But they're building upon themselves until finally at the end they reveal what it is they were leading you to all along. One of my favorite Dr. Seuss stories starts like this Now the star belly sneeches had bellies with stars, and the plain belly sneeches had none upon theirs. Their stars weren't so big, they were really so small. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star belly sneeches would brag were the best kind of sneeches on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort. We'll have nothing to do with those plain belly sorts. And when they met some, when they were out walking, they'd hike right on past them without even talking. And when the star-belly children went out to play ball, could a plain-belly get in the game? Not at all. You could only play if your bellies had stars, and the plain-belly children had none upon theirs. And when the star-belly sneeches had frankfurter roasts or picnics or parties or marshmallow toasts. They never invited the plain belly snitches. They left them out cold in the dark on the beaches. They kept them away, never let them come near. And that's how they treated them, year after year. Dr. Seuss sets up a world in which there is a problem. A world in which there is deep conflict. It is a world that is not very much unlike the world that James lived in. It is a world that is very similar to our own world. A world where there are groups that are in and groups that are out. Where coveting runs rampant and everyone wants what someone else has. In fact, it's become so normal that we come up with cute sayings. Let's keep up with the Joneses. The grass is always greener. And these conflicts that arise come not from exterior means, though we might think they do. Instead, they are arising from a brokenness that is found inside each and every one of us. Those who have use it to lord it over those who don't. They try to exclude and maintain their power. Those who don't have waste all of their energy and lives trying to achieve some kind of human-constructed goal, to have what they're told they should. James lays out a roadmap for us. You want something and you do not have it, so you commit murder. You covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and quarrels you do not have because you do not ask you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your own pleasure now it's easy for many of us to think that this scripture isn't really talking about me because I might be wrong, but I'm going to assume that most of you in this room haven't actually murdered another person. If so, we can talk about confession later. Um, we don't seek out necessarily disputes in conflicts. And yet, as Dr. Seuss reminds us about those tiny little stars, it is often the things that we think shouldn't cause a problem that end up leading to the places of deepest discord. In Matthew 5, on his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to the people, and he says to them, you have heard it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you are liable to judgment and if you insult a brother or a sister you are liable to the council and if you say you fool you will be liable to the hell of fire how many times then we must ask ourselves in our lives have we committed a type of murder with our anger and our words we want something. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's an object, maybe it's affection from a spouse or a parent, prestige at work, a position, whatever it is and we don't get it. We don't have it. And so we systematically set about destroying someone else to achieve it. We might talk behind their back. We might start whispers. We, we explode in anger at them. In our frustration of being denied that which we crave, we lash out. If you've ever spent any time with a toddler who's been told that they can't have that toy, you've seen this. And as adults, we may present a better exterior to the world. We don't lay down on the floor, hopefully, and pound our hands and feet, but our interior lives, our heart, is often no better than the exterior tantrum of a child. The star belly snitches want power. They want to maintain their social position and they have no problem using their words to effectively murder the plain-bellied snitches, to remove them from their community and cast them out. And James reminds us that it's not just extremes of rage, it's not just extremes of anger, but the seemingly normal and innocuous disputes and conflicts of our everyday life that lead us down dark paths, that reveal our true covetous nature, that reveal the war within us that leads to a double-minded spirit, the same spirit he warned us about back in chapter 2. A spirit where on one hand we love God and on the other we love the world. Leading to distorted lives and split focus. In Germany, in the 19, prior to the 1930s, the Nazi party was a small fringe political group. But as the Great Depression began to hit Europe and more people began to experience economic instability and poverty the citizens of Germany found themselves beginning to look around and focus more on what others had than on what was in front of their own plates. They began to covet their neighbors and respond in fear and malice. And it became a fertile and easy ground for Hitler and the Nazi party to capitalize on that dark side of human nature by placing blame on the Jewish people, on the Marxists, on those who had signed the treaty for World War I. And Adolf Hitler was incredibly clever because he tailored each of his speeches to the groups he was speaking to. He worked to inflame those small conflicts into bigger blazes, creating disputes between groups and people At varying times, the Nazis pledged to restore German cultural values to one group, to reverse the provisions of the Treaty of Versailles to another. They promised to turn back the perceived threat of the communist uprising to one group, to put the German people back to work, to restore Germany to its rightful position as a world power. They took advantage of the internal war within each of the German citizens. A war, on one hand, you have self-preservation, and on the other hand, you have care for others. And the Nazis exploited a world where people had begun to become more concerned with themselves than they were with their neighbors, to horrific consequences. And so we find that when we are divided, when our interior lives have been split, a door is opened for evil to come through. And those snitches on the beaches, as they continued their disputes in anger, they sat there until... One day, it seems, while the plain belly sneetches were moping and doping along on their beaches, just sitting there wishing their bellies had stars, that a stranger zipped up in the strangest of cars. My friends, he announced in a voice clean and clear, my name is Sylvester McMonkey McBean, and I've heard of your troubles, I've heard you're unhappy, but I can fix that. I'm the fix-it-up chappy. I've come here to help you, I have what you need, my prices are low, and I work with great speed, and my work is 100% guaranteed. Then quickly, Sylvester McMonkey McBean put together a very peculiar machine, and he said, you want stars like the Starbelly Sneetch? My friend, you can have them for $3 each." Just pay me your money and hop right aboard. So they clambered inside, and the big machine roared, and it clonked, and it bonked, and it burked, and it jerked, and it popped them about, but the thing really worked. When the plain belly sneeches popped out, they had stars. They actually did. They had stars upon theirs. Then they yelled at the ones who had stars at the start. We're still the best Sneeches, and they are the worst, but now how in the world we know they all frowned? If which kind is what, or the other way around? Then up came McBean with a very sly wink, and he said, things are not quite as bad as you think, so you don't know who's who, that's perfectly true, but come with me, friends, do you know what I'll do? I'll make you again the best Sneeches on the beaches, all it will cost you is $10 each. "'Belly stars are no longer in style,' said McBean. "'What you need is a trip through my star-off machine. The wondrous contraption will take off your stars, so you won't look like sneeches that have them on the ours.' And the handy machine was working very precisely and removed all the stars from their tummies quite nicely. Then with snoots in the air, they paraded about, and they opened their beaks, and they let out a shout, We know who's who, now there's no doubt, the best kind of sneeches are the sneeches without. Then, of course, those with stars all got frightfully mad to be wearing a star that was frightfully bad. Then, of course, old Sylvester McMonkey McBean invited them into his star-off machine. Then, of course... From then on, as you probably guess, things really got into a horrible mess. All the rest of the day on those wild screaming beaches, the fix-it-up chappy kept fixing up Sneeches, off again, on again, in again, out again, through the machines, they raced round and round again, changing their stars every minute or two. They kept paying money. They kept running through until the plane and the star bellies knew whether this one was that one, or that one was this one, or which one was that one, or who one was what one. Then when every last cent of their money was spent, the fix-it-up chappy packed up and he went. And he laughed as he drove in his car up the beach. They will never learn. No, you can't teach a sneech. As they sat there, longing, a voice stepped in to offer them what they thought they needed. But James tells us, we do not have because we do not ask. Two strong warnings. We do not have because we do not ask. Far too often I realized, when I'm faced with a problem in my life, or when I have a hope or a prayer, that more often than not, I attempt to solve the problem myself. I work my tail off, trying and trying, only to realize at the very end I never bothered to bring it to God. Or I only did once I had reached the end of my rope, and when I find myself there on my knees at the end, I often realize it would have been much easier if I had started there. Like a sneech on a beach, I sit and I complain and I whine. I let my sadness and disappointment fester into bitterness, looking at what I perceive God giving to others, but never bothered to think to ask for myself. Too often my own pride prevents me from asking God with a humble and contrite heart. Like a toddler, I can do it myself. I can find forgiveness myself, find peace and purpose myself. I can find love and belonging myself. And yet the more that we try to get it ourselves, the less we seem to find it. And we are filled with greater longing And we are more covetous of those around us who have what we perceive to be God withholding from us. And perhaps even more painful than the notion that we simply forget to ask is that we do not receive because we ask wrongly. The plain-bellied sneeches were not asking for stars to bring about peace to their world. Now, they were asking so that they might have the same power as the star-bellied snitches, And the star-bellied sneeches aren't asking to have their stars removed because they've seen the errors of their way and they want to embrace a whole community. No, they want to find a way to be better again. And James, this is where he gets real. Because he calls us out. And he reminds us that oftentimes our prayers are far more selfish than we care to admit or even know. We pray for peace, not necessarily because our hearts actually long for the safety and security of others, but because foremost we long for it for ourselves. When I was young, a family member of mine was dealing with alcoholism. And I can remember praying time and time again for this person and feeling like my prayers were falling on deaf ears until one day God humbled me and revealed to me that in many ways my prayers were ineffective because at the base of them was a desire more for my own stability and peace of mind than for actual healing for another person. And this is why James is telling us to lament and mourn and weep, to let our laughter be turned into mourning and our joy to dejection, because he is calling us to fully recognize who we are. Calling us to know the truth about our nature and to bring it before God. To admit that we are a people who have befriended the ways of the world over the ways of God more times than we haven't. But James doesn't leave us there because he shows us that there is hope. He presents us with a choice to move beyond selfish self-focus and instead be made anew in the image of God, a triune communal God who created us to exist in community with one another and with him, to become more like Christ who prayed not for his own benefit but for the glory of the Father And for the people of god once we have come penitently before god james exhorts us to begin to actively pray with wisdom and like-mindedness he tells us that we can ask boldly for healing spiritual and physical he reminds us to praise god together for his goodness He calls us to confess to one another and to feel forgiven. And he reminds us about Elijah. Elijah's prayer for rain were not about demonstrating his own power or strength, but rather revealing the glory of God in the face of unjust rulers like Ahab and Jezebel, that the people of God would know the character of God. James closes with this My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What a gift! And it's sad to say that too often these days, the world would actually perceive the church as more likely to reject those that wander than to welcome them back with open arms. We preach warnings about backsliding. We shame those who go off the path. We view them as a lost cause. And we fail to heed James' warning that we should not judge others thinking ourselves capable and perhaps even deserving to sit in that judgment seat. Not many in this world are brave enough to go after a wanderer no matter the cost, to shed their own stars in the pursuit of a child of God. And yet to follow the great shepherd is to go after the one and to leave the ninety-nine. It is to be willing to risk our very selves, our comfort, and our desires in pursuit of following Christ. But McBean was quite wrong, I'm quite happy to say, that the Sneeches got really quite smart on that day. They decided that Sneeches are Sneeches, and no kind of Sneech is the best on the beaches. That day, all the Sneeches forgot about stars and whether or not one had one upon ours. We've been given a gift, a way forward towards a life that is beyond our every hope. We stand with an offer to be changed from the inside out, to be freed from being consumed with ourself, to being open to see all that God is doing in the world. We are being freed from living lives of worldly wisdom to lives of godly wisdom, seeking out how we can lift one another up, sharing gifts in common, welcoming the stranger. We are offered a world where conflicts disappear in the face of love, and the other becomes us. We've been offered the power that rather than bring death, we can bring life. We can bring a person back from the edge of death. But to do it, we must lay down our own lives. We have to stop seeking out a world shaped for our benefit and instead pursue a world shaped by the kingdom and ethics of God. And when we do that, we will find, finally, all those things we think we're looking for. And they will be better than we could ever hope for or imagine. Amen.